today on The Open Word with Pastor David Landry. Open our hearts, change us from within by the open word. Give us ears to hear your truth and eyes to see the needs around us as we draw. He'll wait and he'll watch for God's answer. Verse one, I will stand my watch. I'll set myself on the rampart. I'll watch to see what he will say to me and what I will answer when I am corrected. At least he has a fullness of understanding. Uh, I know God's gonna correct me on the statements that I make. And beloved, that's a great place for any of us to be. Lord, I know what I believe. Correct me where I'm wrong. It sounds like the right thing to do. It sounds like the spiritual thing to do. Let me ask you, what happens when God's answer doesn't fit your theology? What happens when his actions totally blow you away? Are you looking for God to do something incredible in your life today? Maybe you're hoping he'll fix a relationship or pull you out of the hole you seem to have dug for yourself. Or maybe you just want him to make life easier for a while. Today, Pastor David will ask you to consider what would happen if God didn't answer you the way you think he should. Would you walk away from God, or would you hold on to your faith, knowing that He's in control and can see your future? Choose to trust Him today. Now here's Pastor David in the book of Habakkuk chapter 1 as he continues his message, The Coming Day of the Lord. Habakkuk talks about the burden which the prophet Habakkuk saw. And this is it, verse two. O Lord, how long shall I cry? And you will not hear. Even cry out to you violence, and you will not save. Why do you show me iniquity and cause me to see trouble? For plundering and violence are before me. Their strife and contention arises. Therefore, the law is powerless and justice never goes forth. For the wicked surround the righteous, therefore perverse judgment proceeds. One of the things I think that we can look at here with what Habakkuk is writing, I think that by and large it's kind of one-sided. Of course, we can't really see into the heart of Habakkuk and his thought process, but in the words that he writes here, his complaint is, Lord, why are you allowing the Assyrians and very soon the Babylonians to continue in that freedom to destroy so much and to bring in so much violence? And yet what he appears to be missing is is that the very things that he's concerned about these pagan nations that are coming against them are the very same issues that God sees in Judah. We look at violence, iniquity, plundering, strife, contention. The law of God continually being ignored among the kings, among the priests, among the people. The law itself, because of that, becomes absolutely powerless. Justice never goes forth. These are some of the complaints that God brings against the people of Judah. He say, the wicked of Judah surround the righteous. Therefore, perverse judgment proceeds. Even within the boundaries, catch it, guys. Even within the boundaries of the temple courts. 
See, the very thing that he's arguing or declaring to God about these other nations, that's the very thing that they were guilty of. How easy it is to see someone else's sin, particularly when it mirrors your own. It's a lot easier for me to see somebody else's problem when it's the same issue that I have to deal with. Why? Because I'm just so familiar with that particular situation. And we see the same thing here as Habakkuk cries out. Well, God's response to him is pretty eye-opening. And literally, I believe it ought to be very concerning even to us here today, some 2,600 years later. God's response, though, should not have surprised Habakkuk. Verse five, he says, look among the nations and watch. Be utterly astonished, for I will work a work in your days which you will not believe, though it were told you. For indeed, I am raising up the Chaldeans, a bitter and a hasty nation. They are terrible and dreadful. Their judgment and their dignity proceed from themselves. That's verse seven. Verse eight, Their horses also are swifter than leopards and are more fierce than evening wolves. Their chargers charge ahead. Their cavalry comes from afar. They fly as the eagle that hastens to eat. Verse nine, they all come for violence. Verse 10, they scoff at kings and princes are scorned by them. Verse 11, he commits offense, ascribing this power to his God. This is where their, actually their eventual downfall is going to come. God uses them as a discipline against his own people, but when they fail to recognize that it's the power of Yahweh, the very God of the Jewish people, they continue to give glory to all of their idols, then eventually God brings punishment and judgment on them also. And yet the Lord is going to allow them to come against and have power over the children of Judah as a lesson of humility and to bring about not sorrow because I got caught, but a true repentance and then a final restoration. And yet Judah and the children of Israel, they never do completely learn their lesson in the midst of this. All of this that's going on, Habakkuk's crying out, how long, O Lord, are you gonna do that? God comes back and says, listen, I'm gonna show you something that's really gonna blow you away. You wonder why I haven't done it now? I'm gonna tell you what's gonna, it's gonna get worse before it ever gets better. There's a lot of folks within this fellowship right now, within Calvary Chapel of Casa Grande. We're praying for a revival. We're praying for a renewal, a spiritual renewal within this fellowship. We're, we're pretty well tired of just doing church, of just going through the motions, having meeting after meeting after meeting and not really seeing and experiencing the power of the Spirit of God in people's lives. As we study this time frame here in Israel's history, you can't help but see that God is so very tired of that same kind of attitude, just going through the motions. Yeah, they had the temple, we have the church. Going to church meeting after church, going to temple meeting after temple meeting after temple meeting. Having services versus having rituals, the same kind of situation. They were going through the motions, but their hearts were not fully consumed 
by God. They became consumers of religion rather than letting their hearts be consumed by God. Let me ask you this. What do you think, just in your wildest imagination, what do you think, and you don't need to answer me, just let this roll in your head. What do you think God would be willing to do to our nation to bring about a revival? How far do you think God would be willing to go to bring a spiritual awakening to our church? What about within your own life or the life of your family? Do you think that God is a God that says, oh, uh, I'm just gonna give you peace and comfort all the time? Or does he love you enough to shake your life until you feel that it's about to fall all to pieces? I believe that that's how God works. What would you think if in God's desire to make us a people that are completely surrendered and completely obedient to his plans and purposes that he were to allow another 9-11? That God loved us so much that he would allow another Pearl Harbor or some catastrophic terrorist event. You think, whoa, that's not God's love. Let me assure you, church, God is much more concerned about your soul situation than he is about your physical situation because he wants all of you. What if he orchestrated, what if he brought about a complete breakdown of our whole economic system? I mean, absolutely complete. Shutting down the banks, shutting down our financial systems, freezing all corporate and personal finances. Now, would that shake you up? You know what? I don't need to depend upon God because I got MasterCard. And all too often, I think our world has come to that point. And I believe very much so that in the United States, in the Western cultures, let's just bring it to the Western cultures, the economically advanced, the ones that have all the technology and, and you know everything, very much so, we've become to the point that we don't need God. Now I've got Medicare, I don't need God. I've got a great health program, I really don't need God. What if we didn't have a United Healthcare or whoever your health provider? What if we didn't have, what if we didn't have the hospitals? What if we didn't have the technology? And God says, you've just got to depend upon me. That's why in developing countries, countries that don't have anything of the pleasures and the comforts that we have, we find people who are amazingly deep in their relationship with Christ because he's all they have. He is their only hope. What if God, desiring that we'd turn from our wicked ways and see his face and pray, what if he were to allow a plague to hit our nation, literally causing thousands, if not hundreds of thousands to perish before the medical industry could get on top of it. Would God do that? He already has. Through the history of time, we've seen that. What if he allowed Christianity and Bible reading and and church meetings to become outlawed? Would God really go that far? 
Ask those in North Korea who are hiding out in the woods with a smuggled Bible because they love Jesus so much that they're willing to risk it all. It's not the comfort of the day or comfort of the hour or the the lack of anything else planned, but it's because they hunger and thirst so greatly for the things of God in their lives. Beloved, all through history, we've seen God go that far. And I believe that should the Lord tarry in his return, I believe he's possibly going to do it again. I believe even in our nation, our nation that used to be one nation under God. Love it, that's the book of Habakkuk right there. We could close out tonight and say that's the story of Habakkuk because God is going to bring to them something that they could not even begin to imagine. We're God's beloved. We're the precious ones. We're the chosen ones. He wouldn't do that to us. God says, yeah. I will, and as a matter of fact, he did. There is within Habakkuk's understanding that reality of the power of God and his promise to never totally wipe out Israel. He remembers the covenantial promises. We see that in verse 12 in the beginning of verse 13 there in chapter one. Verse 12, he asks the Lord. He says, are you not from everlasting, O Lord, my God, my Holy One? We shall not die, O Lord, You have appointed them for judgment. Oh, rock, you have marked them for correction. You are purer eyes than to behold evil and cannot look on wickedness. Then immediately he tries to balance out this understanding of who God is with what God is getting ready to do and what he's currently doing. And then in chapter two, he says, he'll wait and he'll watch for God's answer. Verse one, I will stand my watch. I'll set myself on the rampart. I'll watch to see what he will say to me and what I will answer when I am corrected. At least he has a fullness of understanding. Uh, I know God's gonna correct me on the statements that I make. And beloved, that's a great place for any of us to be. Lord, I know what I believe. Correct me where I'm wrong. It sounds like the right thing to do. It sounds like the spiritual thing to do. Let me ask you, what happens when God's answer doesn't fit your theology? What happens when his actions totally blow you away? God's response to Habakkuk is to give him a vision. He says, I'm gonna give you this vision. I want you to write it down. But he needed also to remember it's not all gonna happen at once. Part of it's now, part of it's gonna be later. Some of the vision is for right now, but most of it is for later, much later. And so the Lord tells Habakkuk here in chapter two, verse three, he says, for the vision is yet for an appointed time, but at the end it will speak and it will not lie. And though it tarries, wait for it. Wait for it, wait for it. Because it will surely come, it will not tarry. Behold the proud, his soul is not upright in him, but the just shall live by his faith. You've heard that before. That's where that verse from, again, Romans comes, the just shall live by faith from Habakkuk. This whole idea of waiting for the Lord and living in patience, living in faith. And beloved, that's found all through scripture from Genesis to Revelation, that our very salvation is based on faith, right? 
for by grace are you saved through what? Through faith. So we have to be people of faith. Faith that believes that God is and that he's a rewarder of those that diligently seek him. That's what the writer of Hebrews tells us. And even when it seems as though the enemy is in control, even when it seems as though you yourselves, you're gonna be dried up and maybe totally destroyed, even when it seems that the night will never end, beloved, remember, the just shall live by faith. And if everything is going smooth in my life, I don't have to have faith. If everything is going wonderful, my bank account's full, I'm healthy, everything's doing, you know, my, my kids are wonderful, everything's, I don't have to have faith because it's right there. Faith is the evidence of things, what? Unseen. The substance of things hoped for. So that when my world is crashing and burning, when the worst of situations are surrounding me, That's when our faith grows. That's when our faith is demonstrated. That's when the reality of our faith is there. I can tell you I have faith all day long as long as things are going smooth. But we see how much faith we have when the bottom drops out. Even in our faith, even in our faith, we still struggle, don't we? We still struggle. It's a part of our humanity. It's part of our frailty. It's our inability to remain consistent through all of these ups and downs. Now, I know that some of you are stronger in faith than some of the rest of us, and I understand that. But you did not get strong in your faith by everything going easy on you. Your faith was strengthened because you've been to hell and back, and you've seen God restore and renew and strengthen. Yet in the midst of it all, even in our struggles, if we truly have a deep and a growing relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ, we will eventually, even in the doubt, if I have a true relationship, even in the doubt, I will eventually swing back home to faith. But it's the ones that don't have real faith that never swing back. They're off kilter. Their life is off kilter. They don't know what to do. They don't know how to live. Howard Hendricks once said, humans only occasionally achieve balance as they're swinging from one extreme to the other. I believe that's true spiritually too. We can get so excited about some things. We think, well, this is great. This is great. Okay, settle down. Let's look at the reality of things. Or we can get so oppressed and depressed and frustrated that we're way over here. No, we need to swing back and say, no, God is in control of this. Beloved, you'll never find that balance of being able to find that faith in the midst of that struggle if you're not right now growing in your relationship with Christ. It's in your personal growth in Christ that brings about that balance and a sense of peace in the midst of every storm. That doesn't come for the mediocre surface Christian. Mediocre surface Christian will look at someone who is deep in faith and they're absolutely amazed. I don't know how you can stand in that peace. 
And that's when you can tell them, you know what? I struggled for weeks and weeks or months or months or years. But I also know that my God is faithful. That I can hold on to him even in the hard times. That's why I love the words in Ecclesiastes. And I think I might've said this just recently in one of the messages when Solomon says, man, there is time for mourning. There's time for laughter. That's all part of our human experience. And in the midst of those swings of life, where is your base? Where is your foundation? God's answer to Habakkuk assures him. Yeah, listen, at the end, the wicked will be destroyed. As a matter of fact, five different times in chapter two, God declares woe to the wicked. Verse six, chapter two, he says, will not all these take up a proverb against him, the wicked, and a taunting riddle against him and say, woe to him who increases that is not his, what is not his, how long? And to him who loads himself with many pledges. Verse nine, Woe to him who covets evil gain for his house that he may set his nest on high. Verse 12, woe to him who builds a town with bloodshed and establishes a city by iniquity. Verse 15, woe to him who gives drink to his neighbor, pressing him to your bottle, even to make him drunk that he may look upon his nakedness. Verse 19, woe to him who says to wood, awake, To a silent stone, arise, it shall teach. Behold, it's overlaid with gold and silver, and yet in it there's no breath at all. You see, the wicked put their faith in their own strength and in their own abilities. Why would we as his children live the same way? Putting our faith in our own abilities and strength. That's why I loved Ken's message this last Sunday. That God works in our inabilities. That's where the spirit of God is really demonstrated in our life. Not in our abilities, but in our inabilities. For the wicked, rather than seek out the one true God to whom they literally do owe allegiance and obedience, they make for themselves gods who are silent, who can't teach, who have no power, who can't even talk. They carve it out of wood. They, They cover it with silver and gold and say, that's my God. But I've got to ask this, even to the church, how powerful is your God? Is he so far off and so distant from you that, oh yeah, I believe the word of God and I come in and I'll do a Bible study and I'm here, but I really don't have this ongoing relationship with the knowledge of just the sweetness and the presence and the power and the authority, the correction, the instruction. I really don't have that kind of a relationship with God. Beloved, maybe that's because you've made a God of your own choosing, of your own design. Because if your God isn't greater than anything that you can imagine, your God isn't more powerful than anything you could even begin to conjure up in your own mind. You've got a very limited God, and it's a God of your own design. Open our hearts, change us from within by the open word. As our time with you today winds down, 
We'd like to share where you can listen to today's message again. You'll find this and other teachings from Pastor David and The Open Word at theopenword.com. Be sure to subscribe to the podcast to ensure you never miss an edition of the program. Right now, let's turn it back over to Pastor David for a quick message from the heart. Hello, friend. I'm so glad you joined in today to The Open Word. As you know, this broadcast is meant to share with you the hope, grace, and love that can only be found through Jesus Christ. He's the reason I teach every week at Calvary Chapel of Casa Grande. I want as many people as possible to know and believe the message of the gospel. If you'd like to know more about what Jesus' life and death means to you, I'd encourage you to call us. We have some great people here who would love to pray with you and answer your questions. Our number is 520-836-9676. Again, that's 520-836-9676. Know that I'm praying for you too, and I value you greatly as a listener and brother or sister in Christ. Thanks, Pastor David. We'd like to invite you to come see us in person as well at Calvary Chapel Casa Grande. We have services every Saturday, Sunday, and Wednesday, and you'll be able to find more information at theopenword.com. Just click the church link at the bottom of the page. With that, our time with you has come to an end. Join us next time to continue our journey through the Bible, right here on The Open Word. Make us more.